Hello, Internet. My name is Walter C. A.D. Svetchuk, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Final Cut Podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Uh, thank you all so much for allowing us to take last week off. Um, it was a bit of a hectic, hectic week. We had some trouble kind of scheduling when to record. And uh, I think Chase and I both kind of just, we needed a break. We just needed a week off just to relax, you know, do our thing and come back with fresh eyes, you know, fresh emotions, good mindset, and uh, and dive back into things as we kind of head into the end of the year because we got a couple of doozies of movies coming ahead uh, as we head into the end of the year here, including, uh, well, I'll save that for the end where, when I spoil it. And by we, I, of course, mean uh, my lovely, lovely podcast co-host. I would say the perfect person to put on our podcast ticket, Chase Wassener. Chase, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Uh, you know, I'm glad that you, you said you're diving in because that was uh, a track on the album before this from the uh, musical artist that we're talking about today, Kid Cudi. Uh, this, is a, this was one of those things where uh, serendipity has led us to a very interesting film. And uh, while I certainly was thankful for the week to regroup and make sure that we're back at it again with the uh, energy and quality that y'all have come to love from this podcast, uh, I'm very excited to talk about this one because I think it's a really interesting one. Chase, I'm, I'm just going to spell it out right at the beginning. Why are we talking about Intergalactic? So... We're talking about Intergalactic for a couple of reasons, uh, and all of them are the kinds of things that feel silly in hindsight. Uh, number one, I was looking for a film that was available on Netflix, because at the time, we were going to do this right after I was dealing with some COVID symptoms. Uh, I still don't know whether I had it or not. I tested negative, but it sure lasted for a while and had a lot of things in common. So I was like, I want something easy. Let's do something that's relatively chill. It's like a, a solid 92-minute runtime, so it's super easy to get in and out. I checked out the reviews, and the reviews were positive. So I went into this being like, oh, this is a really interesting idea for a film. I've always really loved this mixture of film and music. That's something that's always appealed to me. Um, it's one of the reasons I really loved Baby Driver before most of the people involved ended up being horrible people. Uh, that just idea of starting from this place of music and then figuring out how do we build a story around that? How do we build the visuals around that? How do we make something that enhances the music that is there while also feeling like a part of it while also not being a music video? It's a tough challenge. It's one that uh, so a lot of films have slipped up trying to attempt, but I'm happy to say, I think this one stuck the landing, uh, at least in all the ways it needed to. Um, so that's kind of how we got here, ultimately. You know, I, I think there's something to be said for kind of a shorter runtime movie. You know, we get kind of lost in our days, and it's kind of really difficult for me when I get home from work. I, I get home from work at like 9.30 just because I work a later shift, and it's really hard for me to commit to, on a weeknight after I've worked, like a full feature-length movie. So this kind of like harkens me back to the days of sort of the like straight-to-DVD, straight-to-VHS movies that weren't like, you know, they aren't going to be like the greatest movie you've ever seen. They're not going to be these amazing pictures that are going to be competing for, you know, best picture at the Oscars, but there's still like a lot of entertainment and, and kind of love put into them. And they're, they're these own little like special projects that you sort of get to enjoy um, in, in a little bit shorter chunk and they don't take up your entire evening. And that's, that's definitely what this was. It was, I, I watched uh, Enter Galactic with my girlfriend on our, on our typical date night after eating. We had sort of caught up on some of the YouTube videos that uh, we, we hadn't watched over the last couple of days and then sat down with this. And it was enjoyable. It was a nice, you know, they talk about like you have dessert wines or dessert cocktails. This was a nice like dessert movie to just kind of sit, veg out, not have to think too hard and just kind of 
roll into the end of the night. Chase, right off the bat, watching this film and looking at even, you know, sort of the, the theatrical poster and some of the screenshots of that, the, the visual style is very striking and very unusual. And then even as the movie goes, there is sort of this kind of almost like stop motion sort of aspect to the animation. What were your thoughts on kind of the visual elements of the film? You know, it was interesting because it started out like early on. I was almost wondering if I was having buffering issues because there would be these moments in which it just felt a little bit stilted. Like there had been like a, a frame or two that was missing for that smooth experience. But then it would get to other bits and I realized like, oh, this is purposeful. They really want to accentuate certain beats and give them that moment. Uh, and the way you do so is, is slowing down certain actions so that you get each of those individual moments along the way rather than having it be one solitary single movement, uh, which is an interesting way to do it. It's subtle. You know, it's the kind of thing that isn't used uh, you know, throughout the entirety of the film, but is used purposefully in moments that uh, help really add to the uh, character of it, especially during some of the party scenes early on, uh, where you know he is getting increasingly fucked up on an increasingly uh, eclectic range of drugs and alcohol. Um, so there was a, a lot there that was interesting from that perspective. I also just think it's really pretty. The use of color in this film, perfect, wonderful. Uh, you get these blues and purples and, and the, the having the main character be this street artist uh, with these striking black and white visuals that were then used for this nightmare sequence that was absolutely gorgeous to watch. Um, there's a reason people have pointed to Into the Spider-Verse as a film that has a lot in common from an artistic perspective. I'm not going to go out and say that the animation here is as good um, as that film, because very few things are, let's be real here. But I do think that there is a, a ton uh, that this film gets really, really right uh, when it comes to its animation style. And giving it that vibrancy on a shot-to-shot -shot basis is definitely one of those things. It, it's funny to me that you already brought up Into the Spider-Verse, because visually and, and animation-wise, that's immediately where my head went. And at times it was, again, the stuttering, the buffering kind of aspect to it was distracting. And in my head, I was like, well, like, I get what they're trying to do here. But Spider-Verse did this like way, way better in terms of the actual quality of the animation. And then, yeah, it was. It was a realization. It was my partner bringing up to me like, no, like they're doing that on purpose. Because like when you're high, you kind of process everything a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. And like, that's probably kind of what they're going for is that there isn't this sort of like immediate action to everything and, and given in you know a later line in the film discussing you know holding and freezing yourself in moments it does make a lot more sense that there are sort of these like ebbs and flows to the movement and these stutters and because some things just aren't important so maybe you know as you're thinking about it you're not you don't necessarily think about exactly how someone walks. You just know they get from point A to point B and they kind of, there's just this like general motion to things. Um, I also noticed that in a lot of the dialogue that there was some of this, you know, cutting and, and kind of stop start that, okay, before I say this, I know everybody's going to go, well, duh, Walter, it's an animated film. Like, of course it sounded like there were people in sound booths recording lines, but yes, there were multiple times where it literally just felt like they put a script in front of someone and said, read these 10 lines and put like five seconds of space in between them. And like, that's how they mashed together some of the vocals, uh, not some of the vocals, some of the dialogue. But then there were other times where everything just flowed so very well. And, and, and it felt like the characters were interacting and creating these emotions together. I would say particularly in the scenes where the, um, the two leads, um, you know, Jabari and Meadow, are talking to their friends, their friend group, and they're sort of describing the other person and, and you know, what they're feeling and, and, and the emotions that they're going through and why they, you know, feel the way they do or why they aren't acting on those feelings. Um, I will say on top of the sort of animation and, and the movie style and it being, you know, a 92-minute film, it did feel more like 
it was a bunch of music videos kind of stapled together and then added some, and I don't want to say filler in a negative way, but some filler, some context to sort of tie all of them together. Chase, do you think maybe this would have been better if they had had done it kind of how they originally pitched it as more of a series versus one whole long movie? You know, it's interesting, right? Because I I understand the idea of like, comparing it to music videos. I do think the film does enough to both contextualize the songs, make sure that the songs in context are uh, pushing the narrative such that the narrative exists, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but so I, I didn't get the, like, this is a music video feeling for some of it. Uh, that nightmare sequence absolutely felt like a music video. That was 100%. Like, we're taking, we're, we have a sequence that is here now. That's what we're doing. Uh, and it was fantastic. So no problem there. Um, some of it flowed a little bit more in and out. And, you know, it is interesting to think about what this would have been like had each chapter been its own 15-minute episode. I don't know how that experience would have felt if you just paused before any one of those chapters. It very much was built to be binge-watched as much as one can binge-watch a 90-minute product. You know, that's kind of always been Netflix's model to a certain extent. And I think combining it together encouraged that in a way that added cohesion that I would have missed had I had to, like, come back next week for part two of this six-part, 15-minute web series on YouTube that this assuredly would have been in another version of the, of this timeline, right? And in one where Kid Cudi isn't as big of an artist, the animation budget isn't as high. You could totally see this being a like weekly series on, on something like that. But because the animation is so fantastic and because they do have that production value to, to add those bits in between, it does, at least to me, uh, supersede that risk. But it's definitely one where they can call it a TV special all they want. It's a movie. It is a movie that has chapters, like several movies that we've talked about this year. And it is kind of... I, I almost wonder if that part of that is how they're selling it internally, because Kid Cudi has openly said that he wants to get uh, you know, a second season or a third season. And I imagine it's a lot easier to get Netflix to agree to sign on to a series than it is to sign on to more movies. So I wonder how much that has to play with it. That's kind of semantic, uh, maybe business angle. Of it. That's actually a very interesting thought. And I do agree that I can't imagine, despite the fact that there is like a very music video kind of draw to it, and there are sort of these sequences where the music is playing in the background, and we'll get to the music in a little bit, and that they're doing this visual thing. You know, Jabari um, likes to ride his bike, his mongoose, so there's like these moments where he's just, you know, biking around and sort of the rest of the world disappears and these these very ethereal and space kind of oriented backgrounds and movement and whatnot that does feel like okay that's you made a music video instead but it feels like and i i'm not going to pull away from kid cuddy too much but i'm going to pull kind of more into my musical taste like listening to american idiot or listening to one of Chicago's like more long form albums, or there's this band I enjoyed called Alisana that made this, you know, goth rock kind of opera. Or uh, there's another band that I like, the Amity Affliction, that on their album Misery, the music videos for that album, there are three of them together um, that they release separately, but basically tell this story based on the first, uh, but based on three of the songs from the album. And if you watch them separately, there's like a cliffhanger at the end of each one. But if you throw all three together, it tells this very nice, cohesive, long form story that instead of taking it in 15 minute segments, if you put it together in 45 minutes, it's it's all the way through it. It makes way more sense than chopping it up. Uh, so, so I do agree. And some of the best parts of the movie are these kind of like transition scenes um, that that you know give you more character to the characters and give the the supporting cast a bit more room to breathe and learn their personalities and feel their personalities 
impacting the two leads, uh, Jabari and Meadow. P- particularly the one scene that like really sticks out to me in this um, moment is when Karina is like ripping Meadow apart for not sleeping with Jabari and does like the whole Punan like speech and like tells how she met her husband and like that that is really really funny but if you separate it out into different music videos you're never gonna have that scene and chase let's let's like talk about the music because i'm not a big r&b hip-hop rap kind of guy my i'm more in the like i'm more in like the we when we were young festival type of music so you know I enjoyed the music, but it's not really my, you know, my style day to day. What what did you think about the music? So I will say I haven't listened to Kid Cudi in a while. I loved some of his older stuff when I was in uh, high school and maybe my early college years. Um, day and Night has remained a song that I love. That's a five out of five from me. Um, and I, I loved Erase Me which unfortunately has Kanye West on it, so I'm not going to listen to it anytime soon. But Mr. Rager on that album was also fantastic. But there was a long time between then and now in which Kid Cudi kind of fell out from me. And it wasn't because Kid Cudi changed. It was because he was... Because he didn't, I suppose. Uh, He's always been a guy that knows how to set a mood. He knows how to set a vibe, but he's never been an amazing lyricist. He's not someone that I would necessarily think of instinctually as a storyteller. I think of him a lot more as a, you know, in, uh, as a producer, someone who is quite interesting, who knows how to work with interesting people and to make sure that it has this kind of cohesive sound that draws people in that you can kind of fade in and out of and always feel like um like like it's it's a perfect kind of playlist artist you just put it on and you know that that ride is going to be smooth it's going to be cohesive it's all going to fit the same kind of sound and you're gonna if you enjoy part of it you're probably going to enjoy all of it uh and there's some value in that and i i think that it makes for a really interesting uh artist ultimately because people look at the album and he got favorable reviews it was about a you know, four out of five for most of the people that i looked into for the album itself but it's how kid cuddy captures that and takes it to this film because when it is in a in a film that cohesion really plays to the strengths because it means you do not have to go through the album in order. You can take songs from here, you can take songs from there, and it still feels like a similar arc to the journey. It's still an album, whether you listen to the album or you listen or you watch the, the film. It is a story about people falling in love and and finding those connections to each other and the world around them and uh, you know, staying true to themselves, you know. Not revolutionary concepts, not anything that is going to set the world on fire. Kid Cudi has never been the kind of artist with the ambition to do that. But it sets a mood and emotion, a feeling, that is easy to latch onto. And I honestly, I left this feeling like maybe I'd been too harsh to Kid Cudi. Maybe that there, there's more of a place for that than I had originally allowed myself to have. Um, because because what he does, he's really good at doing, and certainly is more interesting to me uh, than a lot of the other people that would be considered as contemporaries. It's I like that you bring up like playlist kind of artist, and that I I distinctly remember in high school being friends with a lot of people that in their you know in their like chill jam out playlists you know if they're driving in the car if they're we had a buddy that we'd like hang out in their pool and and, you know spend the night there and play halo until like four o'clock in the morning and you know all that jazz and like i remember this him kid cuddy being on those playlists i remember pursuit of happiness and day and night being like staples of those playlists that 
just because I didn't personally like go out and own those albums or listen to them, you know, elsewhere, it was stuff like every time it came on, I'd be like, oh yeah, like this is, this is pretty good. Like this is outside of my normal taste, but like, oh, this is pretty good. I can, I can jam to that. It kind of sat in a little realm with like modest mouse for me um, mm. of just like nothing's going on. Nothing's too crazy. And like my friends didn't like my kind of music. You know, they, they weren't into like the heavy screaming, yelling, you know, angry at the world type emo stuff that I did. So I didn't play a lot of that around them, but like, like this, like red hot chili peppers of this, just kind of like, Hey, we're all hanging out and we want something that we're all, you know, happy to listen to and is going to give us like the right mood to just kind of relax and take a load off and, and just, just chill is, is really true. And I got a lot of that from this from this movie all of the music and it all fit and i understand like okay they they crafted the movie around the music so that the music would obviously fit the story they're trying to tell and you know it was all storyboarded out and they're like okay well we're gonna play this song during this because this music is teaching us about this part of like you know the the uh experiment that is love and, and finding you know who you're in love with and how you treat them and all these things and the emotions that i want you to feel and it did. It really felt like that. There was a lot of, um, like, high school kind of dance vibes to it. And I'm not saying that in any negative way, shape, or form. But just that, like, kind of music that everybody's kind of okay with. That you can sit down. That you can you can have a good time with. That you can be chilling in your car. Or you can be dancing with your friends at a dance. Or, like, things like that. So, just because it wasn't my vibe didn't mean that I didn't. Like, because it's not my normal taste in music doesn't mean that I didn't vibe with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big thing about this entire movie. Everything about it is that this is supposed to be a vibe movie. Um, and I'm saying those words only because Chase told me that he wanted to talk about what a vibe movie is. So Chase, I, I already know what a vibe movie is. But for our listeners that might not know what that means, you know, why don't you explain it like I don't know what that means? Yeah, so I would say that there are, you know, obviously plenty of different types of films, but I would say films tend to go into three categories for me. Uh, there are movies that are plot-driven, right? There is There are stakes that need to be fulfilled. There are, you know, there's pressure to accomplish certain tasks, whether it be an action film in which you have to defeat the bad guy before the end of the day, or whether it is a rom-com in which you have to make sure that you get the girl before the end of the film. Like, there is a, a, a level of story that is driving the movie forward. And you want to see how the story ends. And so that's the thing that's keeping you invested in the film. Then you have what I call character films. They're, they're films that draw you in because you are invested in these people that are on screen. I would say Spencer is a perfect example of that that we reviewed uh, earlier this year. Like, that is a film that is interesting because Princess Diana is interesting because uh, the portrayal of Princess Diana in that film is interesting and dynamic and captivating and keeps you wanting to see what that character will do next. The plot isn't nearly as important because... What you're invested in are the people that the plot kind of works around. This movie isn't really either of those things. It's not a plot-driven movie. There is technically a narrative. Two people meet and they end up dating towards the end after a mild bit of confusion leading to the kind of separation to then come back together that we're used to in the genre. It does technically exist, but it's not the reason you're watching because it doesn't do anything different with the formula. From minute one, you know what the film is going to be. You see her and the like, meet, like, you know, chance meeting in the elevator and the way the film cuts to her. It's like, oh, that's the romantic interest. There's going to be a thing going on with the ex, and then they're going to get back together at the end, and they're going to have made each other better in some way. That's the way this always goes. So you're not watching for the plot. You're also not really watching for the characters because the characters aren't particularly strongly defined, right? They have hopes and goals, and they have these little moments that very much like 
make them human, make them feel real, like lived in characters that would exist in a world, especially when you see, you know, Jabari talking with his friends and Meadow talking with her friend. You know, there's this sense of, of being people that could be connected to each other. But it's not a character drama. There isn't some surprising dynamic take on any of these roles that's keeping you engaged. So what does? Well, it's the vibe, of course. It's the atmosphere. It's the mood. It's the way that the film makes you feel. And this is a film that, like, I thought this was just going to be a second monitor film for me. Like, I have it on, and I'm paying attention to it, but I can have my card game going on, because it's probably not going to be too plot crazy. It's not going to be something that I need to give all of my energy to absorb it. But it got all of my energy. I turned the second monitor off so that I could pay my attention to it. Not because the plot was going to like lose me if I wasn't paying attention, and not because the acting performances were so incredible that I just had to be glued to my seat, but because I wanted to get lost in the world they were creating. I wanted to enjoy the animation for everything that it brought, and I wanted to enjoy the way that it merged with the music for these really cool moments, for the way it used color and texture to tell a story without necessarily having to go and tell that story in a, in a more explicit way. There, it is a film that makes you feel things. It is a film that is driven by the emotions that you feel watching these characters interact, watching them go through what is otherwise a pretty standard story. And that, to me, is what a vibe film is. So it, it's kind of funny. It has. It's taken us, you know, over 25 minutes to even get to the plot of the story because it is. It's a very, it's a very simple plot. Like it's a very, very straightforward plot. On IMDb and on Wikipedia, the plot is as follows. Jabari, played by Kid Cudi, of course, yes, is a charming streetwear clad artist on the cusp of real success. After a chance run-in with his cool new photographer neighbor Meadow, Jabari has to figure out whether he can make space for love in his life. That's it. That's the plot. And you know what? I think any additional like words into that sentence completely confuses you. I think that is succinct. It is straightforward. It's not subtle. And I'm not going to pretend that this movie is subtle in any way, shape, or form. It hits you like a fucking brick. Like the plot hits you like a brick. You could probably see every single beat of the plot coming from a mile away. But that's not the point. It doesn't want you to be distracted by the plot. It doesn't want you to be sitting there thinking like, oh man, what does this mean? What does that mean? Like, there's a fucking worry plant. (laughs) Jabari is given a plant called a worry plant. And while he's freaking out about what, about, because he's a, he's a, the street artist that's been asked to turn one of his characters into a comic book. So he's been hired at this comic you know, design agency. And he's sitting there trying to design this character. And guess what? The plant is growing as he's stressing and as he's worrying. And then all of a sudden, once he decides that he wants to pursue this relationship in a way, the plant like dies because, oh shit, he doesn't have to worry about anything because he's relaxed because he's vibing. He, he has a fucking hoodie on that says closure on it that he has to go get back from his ex. Like, there's no subtlety in any of this. No. And that's fine. That's okay. That's not what they want you to focus on. They want you to focus on the gorgeous, you know, gorgeous visuals and the color. And even that, they don't distract you with anything like emotions on the character's faces. All the emotions are built into everything else that's going on. These faces, the animation isn't very, like, expressive. I would say like the faces are not expressive at all. All the emotion that you're getting from is from the music that's underneath. It's from all of the background. It's from the use of color. It's from what they're, they're highlighting in the background and telling you to focus on instead of just like, well, yeah, his, his, his lips are like slightly upturned. So that means he's happy and his eyes are in a scowl, that means he's mad. Like, no, 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 he's mad because of the uses of reds and blacks kind of in the background, or he's upset because it's fucking raining. Like, it doesn't try to pretend to do anything, it just is. 
And isn't it so nice that with this film, it doesn't waste our time with B-plots that we wouldn't care about, right? Like, yes, Meadow does have an art exhibit that she's getting ready to put together. And yes, Jabari is trying to, like, it briefly touches on this idea of, oh, is he going to have to sell out in order for his art to, to be successful? And on the second question, the answer is, no, absolutely not. He does exactly what he's good at doing. He does it well. And he gets the credit that he deserves at the end. And the character that tried to put that pressure on him ends up being proven to be a, a bit of a rube. And uh, at the end, we find out, uh, ended up participating in a massive scam that uh, ripped off a bunch of people because that's how these tech companies work. It's one of the, there are a few moments that this uh, this film does take some uh, societal criticism that are actually quite well executed. Um, the idea of uh, Meadow not dating any white people because uh, oppression. Great. Love that one. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Good you line. learn a lot Good about line. it from that. Um, and as far as her thing goes, right? Like there's no drama about whether she is talented enough as an artist. She doesn't get lost in this kind of self-doubt from her creative perspective. She's talented. The film knows that she's talented. The drama comes from is she going to be true to herself and how she feels? That's the part that we're invested in. How these characters feel in these moments. And it does a very smart thing in not getting hung up in side plots. If it has to do something to mix up to make sure that you have variety from the main story involved, it does so through uh, one-off kind of scenes of people talking about previous relationships that they've been in the friend who ended up hooking up with the uh russian uh who was wanted by ice for some of her nefarious actions after hooking up with her in the laundromat um the uh friend of meadows who uh hooks up in the japanese restaurant and they change up the animation style for some of these flashbacks too like that one's in more of like a traditional anime look um which is fantastic. And it does add the variety that you need so that you have something else to latch on to. But it never detracts from the reason that we're here. We are never distracted with plot points that could have been dropped and the core film would have been fine. Everything serves that core feeling. And that's, I think, really smart. I give the writers some credit for that. It would have been very easy to get lost in a lot of these B-plots or C-plots or whatever, and it's like, no, we trust the film that we made. We trust that audiences will be along for the ride because we trust that they'll be invested in the type of movie and type of atmosphere that we're trying to set. And I think that's really smart. And you can't have nothing else going on. You have to have something. You don't have to have these long-reaching side plots between beat characters. Like, I totally understand that. But you do have to have other things going on because people don't just exist in a vacuum. It's not that there's these two characters and when they're with each other, there's a background and everything and they exist in that and then you take them apart from each other, you put them into white rooms and then nothing happens. This is a very natural, all of this is very natural in terms of, of course you're going to go talk to your friends about the guy or girl you're crushing on. Like, of course that's going to happen. Of course you're going to go to them for advice. Of course you're going to have the friend that's like, nah, dude, like I, I hooked up with a neighbor once and it turned out really bad. Or I hooked up with a coworker once and it turned really bad. Or nah, dude, like you, you just hit it and quit it once and then you're good to go. Like all of these things, you go to your friends for that information. You have hobbies and you have things you're interested in and foods that you like and music that you like and all these things that when you're getting to know someone, you introduce them, you know, to these things. And I would have to say, like, you don't need someone to love those things too. I would say it's probably actually a negative if you're with someone that only loves everything that you love. I think you want someone that's interested in enough to allow you to, you know, explore and share what you love and enjoy. But if it, you only like all the same things, like, then, then what's the difference? Like, it's nice to have someone who has different views, who has uh, different, you know, uh, musical tastes. So, 
you know, my partner introduced me to Elvis Costello for the first time. I'd never heard of Elvis Costello before. And apparently he's like a super huge, huge big deal from like the 70s and 80s and is fucking awesome. Like, but you don't get that if you're with someone that just has the exact same, you know, views and, and thoughts and everything. And it's, it is wild to me that you have these two artists that are going through very similar kind of career moments, but that are so wildly different in their art styles and everything. And Chase, it's really funny that you bring up that friend that hooked up with the Russian chick and then got in trouble with ice because I want to hit a quote for you mm-hmm. real quick. And then I want you to guess who the actor is that said that. Okay. All right. And I apologize. I am going to swear here. Right. And I quote, love is a motherfucker, boys. It'll find us all. It'll hurt us all. But God damn it. It's the only thing that'll save us all. If you got it, hold on to it. What actor do you think said that? <laughs> See, here's the thing. I watched this film not too long after, uh, or not too long before we recorded this. So I know that this is Macaulay Culkin, my friend. What a pull. What what a cast we have here. Like there's... This movie has fucking Macaulay Culkin in it. It has Timothy Chalamet. It's got Vanessa Hudgens. It's got Jaden Smith. And also, I'm just going to throw out there, shout out to Jessica Williams for her performance as Meadow. Like, they really did a good job of balancing uh, her real-life look into her character. And the same with uh, Kid Cudi as the the lead here, though. I I think his hair hasn't looked like that in a bit, unless I'm—I'll be honest. I guess I haven't kept up with Kid Cudi's hair. But either way, I, I, I don't know, man. It's a fun cast. It is. It's a fun cast. And also, uh, Louise Guzman is in it. I just want another name that you're going to recognize. But honestly, it was fun. And and looking at this, as we opened up IMDb to prepare for everything, and I looked at the list, and I was like, holy shit, Macaulay Culkin was in this film. Like, <laughs> it's wild. It's, it's weird. And that's, again, going back to earlier where I was like, that's straight to kind of DVD. Like, that's kind of a straight to DVD cast. Like, you bring a couple old-timers in and Culkin and, and, and Guzman. You have your two stars that are are not, like, A or B-tier actors. And then you fill them with some good supporting roles and, and Chalamet and Hudgens, like, and Jaden Smith. It, it's a pretty well-put-together and well-thought-out movie that you can just chill with. That you can just enjoy. That you can sit back and, you know smoke a little weed, drink a nice, you know, fresh cocktail and just relax on your couch. Um, Chase, given that this movie is so much shorter than, you know, pretty much any of the other movies that, that we've covered. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to keep running over the same topics. Is there, is there anything else you could say to, maybe suggest this movie, what your final thoughts are on it. Were, were you glad that, obviously I feel like you were glad that you watched this movie, but you know, your expectations coming out of it, ultimately, what did you think? I, I really like this film. Uh, and it's the subtle stuff. I, I really liked, for example, there was a great moment in which like, uh, Jabari's friend is talking about, you know, he says something along the lines of, you know, you know, fine bitches or something else, man. And it's he's and Kid Cudi's character is like, well, don't call them bitches. You don't need to call them bitches. That's fine. Um, and I love that. It's a small thing. It's not made out to be a big deal. It's not a conflict. The guy just takes the criticism and moves on. But it's like, yeah, that's what you should do. If you're talking to your male friends and they're just calling all women bitches, you can say, hey, don't do that. And we all move on. It's a good positive way of of pushing back against toxic masculinity it also does a really great job you know in one of the earlier scenes where uh, jabari's coming in uh because it's 3 45 in the morning and the party's making so much noise that he can't sleep and the uh white uh, art dealer guy uh who is helping meadow uh sell her work gets a little bit confrontational and he like starts acting like you know he doesn't deserve to be there because he's not looking a certain way and there's that kind of racial element there and the film does a really good job of acknowledging that navigating it and allowing us to understand how that kind of microaggression happens 
without getting bogged down in the moment. It's a thing that is in the world because that's a real thing that black people unfortunately experience way too often. But their life continues. The story is not about him having to deal with people being racially insensitive, even if it comes up a couple times. It's about the love that he chooses to seek and find by the end. Uh, and I think those little subtle things, they're small, but they're important because it speaks to an ethos that this movie has overall of finding the little things, finding the color in the world around you, finding what matters in people and that connection to the city around you. That's what the artist, uh, who is also uh, part of the art exhibit that Meadow is at, says at one point, uh, this idea of, you know, the city is such a colorful place and I hate when people treat it like it's this black and white thing because it's so much more lively than that. And that's what this film captures better than anything, I think, is the feeling of life, of just living in a moment and what it means to truly live in uh in seeking out the things that can bring value into your world it's a very positive film ultimately and and one that i think handles everything it's trying to do very effectively i'm gonna give it nine out of ten uh ten stars man i i don't i was not expecting to be this high on it uh but the more i think about it the more i process the visuals and, and what it's trying to be I think it's about as good as it, as it could be at what it wants to be. The only thing that keeps it from being a 10 is that it doesn't have the ambition to really do anything different from a narrative perspective or to really surprise you from a character perspective. But who cares, you know? If we can have uh, Into the Spider-Verse meets When Harry Met Sally, but featuring black protagonists that have been, you know, historically underserved in that genre great fantastic that's all the film needs to be and it does that really well so that sounds like the kind of thing you'd enjoy grab a blunt if it's legal where you're at turn it on have a great time really well done kid cuddy shout out to you for that it is a movie that focuses on the important things which is life which is everything else that's going on you know, it doesn't focus on their careers very much other than being these very kind of tertiary, like, yeah, they're, they're happening. It focuses a lot on friends. It focuses a lot on hobbies and interests and living life to the fullest and how you can introduce someone and include someone in that aspect of your life to a point where it elevates it and enhances it. And that it doesn't get in the way of it. Right at the beginning when he's talking about with his ex, Carmen. You know, Carmen was like a control freak. And, you know, he's like, oh, we sleep, you know, we get back together. We sleep together one night. And all of a sudden I'm going to like a christening. And like they take a, she has to take a photo for her. And she's like, oh, back up and like take a, you know, take 15 of them and use the flash and all this like controlling this. And at the end of the day, like. If someone's doing that to you, they're, they're not allowing you to live life. They're not allowing you to live your life the way you want to. You're living the life that they want you to have. And I think that's something that's very important for everyone to sort of come to terms with is at the end of the day, we're only here for so long. We're only here for X amount of days, Y amount of years. And is it worth it having people and things and ideas in your life that do nothing but bring you down, do nothing but hold you back from living what and who you truly want to be. And I think that's very poignant, especially, you know, nowadays, especially, uh, you know, as you guys are listening to this, this is the day before election day in the United States. And I'll get to that in a moment in the outro. Um, but given with everything in the world, like, Jabari's living a good life. And I don't mean he's out partying every single night and, and getting, you know, getting drunk and getting high and do whatever the hell. He, I mean, but legitimately, like, he's out there. He's riding his bike. He's enjoying himself. You know, he kind of mocks the fact that Meadow, you know, came to 
came to whatever party they were at in this like multi hundred thousand dollar car and he's like no 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 you're going home on a mongoose like he he doesn't care he doesn't care what other people think in that kind of way he he just is living his life um that being said i'm gonna give this like a seven and a half out of ten i don't think it's bad uh in any stretch of the imagination um i just I kind of want a little bit more from a movie, from my entertainment. I kind of want it to be something a little bit more that I could chew on. And if I'm getting something that's not really plot driven, I want a little bit more action. Um, but that's just for me. That's my personal taste. You know, I never would have, I never would have watched this movie if Chase didn't bring it up. I don't think I ever would have thought about this movie. I think if it ever came across me on Netflix, I would have been like, oh, that looks interesting. And then like clicked past it because it's animated and animation really just isn't kind of my jam. Um, I'm glad I watched it. I thought it was a good use of my time. I thought it was enjoyable. I thought it was entertaining. I thought the music was good. Um, you know, I thought it was kind of a perfect film for where my head was at that night. Um, and I still think anybody should watch it. I think if anything that we've said, if you guys like to just kind of relax, if you like, you know, kind of Kid Cudi's music or you like R&B or you just want a good romantic comedy, because honestly, it's a good romantic comedy and all romantic comedies are kind of straightforward to the point. Here's what the plot A, plot B, plot C, plot B, and it kind of just, you know, color by the numbers. Um, it's a good movie, you know? It's a good movie, and I'm glad I watched it. I just don't think it's, like, you know, one of the greatest things I've watched or even, like, the greatest thing I've watched this year. But that's okay because we are allowed to have different opinions. We are allowed to enjoy different things. But what you're not allowed to do is not vote on election day if you live in the United States and you're of voting age. Go vote tomorrow, November 8th. I don't care who for. Deep inside I do, but in reality, I don't care who you vote for. But please utilize your rights to guide this country in whatever direction that you want to go. That is my one political speech thing that I'm going to do for the rest of this year. Go vote. Go vote. Go vote. Chase, have you voted yet or are you going to vote on election day? Oh, I am an early voter, my friend. The state of California makes it pretty darn easy. Uh, I will admit uh, very few of the people that I liked in the primaries ended up making it out to the end. But I, I believe that there are very few things uh, that we can do to help steer our world in a direction that makes things better. A lot of these issues that we face as a society are bigger than us. Um, but what we can do is when we have the opportunity to make our voice heard, we take advantage of it. And we, if we can't find something that we love, we can at least find something that helps protect the things that matter to us. Uh, and that's the thing I would really urge for people who are voting. I'm not going to give specific recommendations because it's a big country. There are a lot of different things on the ballot, and you should be paying attention to things, especially on a local level where some of the more volatile angles that politics can get lost in uh, can be moved away in favor of focusing on what really helps your community in a moment. But I don't know, like this film, choose love. Choose the people who are helping empower people to live the lives that will make them happy. And maybe don't vote for the people who are trying to control what that means for other people than themselves. Um, that's my recommendation there. Uh, you can extrapolate how much you want to. I will say, Walter, before we do our plugs, I have a fun fact for you. Um, Ooh, better than Macaulay Culkin being in this film. I think so. Uh, so Fletcher Moles is the director of this film, which we didn't talk about. Animation with directors is always kind of a weird one for me because um, it's hard to know exactly what they were doing versus like a supervising director versus a producer. It, there's stuff about the industry I just don't fully understand, though I, I will give credit where it's due for uh, playing a big enough role in it to get both the director and the producer credits. Uh, Fletcher Moles has one other director credit uh, do you have any idea what it could possibly be without looking it up? I'll give you a hint. You absolutely don't. 
It is. Uh, <laughs> it is a. Sh- I swear. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I swear to God, if this is Spider Verse, I'm gonna go fucking nuts. <laughs> no, it is not Spider Verse. Um, it is a short, and I will give you a hint. It is a video game short. Borderlands something. It is a 2015 Clash of Clans uh, uh, short <laughs> film called Revenge that involves Liam Neeson going to uh, get merciless revenge against Big Buffet Boy 25 for taking him down in that game. <laughs> what a career arc, right? <laughs> like... You made that up. You are fucking high right now and you made that shit up. I, I will include the link in the description. I'm sending it to you right oh now. Oh my god. Liam Neeson. No fucking <laughs> Seven years ago. What a what a career. I have no idea how Kid Cuddy found this guy or why. It was clearly the right choice as far as I'm concerned. But what what a what a amazing second step. <laughs> what an amazing start. Clearly, Kid Cudi is either a fan of Clash of Clans or advertisements for 2015. It could really go either way. But if you think you know why, which of those two Kid Cudi is a fan of, you should message Chase somewhere on the interwebs. Chase, where can the good folks at home find you? Uh, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, which I will swear I'm going to try to tweet out more from. I've been bad about it because the world has been very complicated and busy, but uh, I love interacting with y'all. So please uh, reach out there. Would love to hear your thoughts. Would love to hear uh, if you check this film out, where you ended up landing on it. Were you more uh, entranced like myself or were you more uh, like Walter and uh, enjoyed even if it wasn't maybe something you'd be drawn to? I'd love to hear uh, where people come down. Uh, Walter, where can people find you? You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. As always, uh, the podcast is available on uh, on Spotify and other podcast platforms. Uh, there are a couple of different ways you can listen to the podcast. You can listen just to the movie stuff on the Final Cut feed, and you can listen to the video game stuff on the Steam Cleaners feed, or you can listen to all of it right on the Rough Jazz feed. Whatever works best for you based on what you are interested in and chase see a few a few days ago chase admitted something to me that shocked me to my very fucking core there was a movie that came out years ago that he has never seen and i would say this was nearly the knockout punch to our friendship this nearly knocked me on my ass And given the release of the Creed 3 trailer with Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, I am forcing Chase to go back and watch Rock Creed. I'm going to make him watch Creed, not Rocky. We're going to watch Creed for the next podcast because I'm, I'm fucking incensed he hasn't watched this movie. So come back in two weeks. We're going to do Creed. And then two weeks after that, we're not going to do Creed 2. We're only going to do Creed. But two weeks after that, we'll have another movie. We're going to end the year strong here. Two weeks. Come back for Creed. And until then, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>